0: Hey, good morning, everyone. <laughs> well, it's a wonderful morning to be together in the house of the Lord, and uh, we got a packed house here. Wonderful! This is our good problems to have. Um, but I just want to begin our morning this this uh, wonderful, beautiful Sunday morning, uh, giving a little bit of an update concerning Israel. I know that this has been on the hearts and the minds of many of you, and I want to be able to address that uh, before we go into God's Word today. Uh, it's been a very eventful week since Hamas terrorists attacked Israel last Saturday and what was, uh, has just left us with an ache in our hearts. And I'm sure that many of you guys have seen um, the news that has unfolded since then, and it is very complex and, uh, and hard to see on many levels, but I would encourage you as followers of Jesus Christ that as you would have the news in one hand, that you would also have your Bible in the other hand. Uh, First off, what that's going to do is it's going to help you to have the grace and the peace of God guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, It can be a time where we have a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety with what's going on, but I just want to tell you that if you're a child of God, you have a confident hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we have nothing to fear because, as Colossians says, we are hidden with Christ in God. But secondly, anytime there is a significant event going on, specifically in Israel, like we're seeing now, uh, we ought to consider certain prophetic events that we're told about in Scripture. And what we're not going to do this morning is we're not going to examine any specific prophecies today. Although I would tell you that you ought to be students of the Word. And, and there may be a time when, as a church family, we take some time to look at some of the specific prophecies concerning Israel, concerning the second coming of Christ, concerning the Millennial Kingdom, things of all of that nature. But what we have before us today is we have the book of Hebrews. And you're like, here we go. Daniel's going to preach a message from the book of Hebrews. I am. I am. I am. I'm not going to give a special prophecy update, although those things are always wonderful. Um, I'm going to teach from the book of Hebrews because, by God's wonderful grace and sovereignty, we have come to a powerful section of scripture today that reminds us of those two things that I just shared about with you. Number one, we have a confident hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, we are to encourage one another as we see the day of Jesus' return drawing near. That's what our text is about today. And so open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And I will say this, if this text were not so perfectly relevant to what's taking place in our world right now, we may have paused our study we may have actually given a special message today on things that are going on in Israel, but because this encouragement in Hebrews is so fitting for what is happening in our world, and not only this week, but also just in, in recent years, recent decades, what we're going to see today in this series is the certainty of the day of Jesus' second coming. We know he's coming. His day That day is drawing near, and and not just because of what's happening in Israel, although we would certainly consider that to be something of what the Bible calls a birth pang, but also because every moment of time that passes is another moment that draws nearer to our salvation than when we first believed. That's what Romans chapter 13 verse 11 tells us. Meaning that we're getting closer to the return of Jesus. And again, not merely because there are wars and rumors of wars going on. Jesus said these things would take place and the end is not yet. But we could say that we're getting closer to the return of Jesus Christ simply because time keeps on moving. So whether we die or whether Jesus comes back in our lifetime, we need to be looking to Jesus. We need to be looking in the word, and we need to be looking up. We need to be ready. And no matter what hour of the last days we're living in, it's time to wake up, oh sleeper. It's time to wake up. To cast off those works of darkness, to to look to the light that is Jesus. And Jesus said, he will come at an hour that no one knows. Only the Father knows. Therefore, he said, always be ready Jesus said we ought to always pray and not lose heart and i've said this before and i'm going to say it again today i think it's a wonderful truth is that as we talk about the second coming of jesus today the best way to prepare for that the best way to prepare for the second coming of jesus is to believe with faith in the first coming of jesus that's the best way to prepare And so the reason for why Jesus has delayed his coming is because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Time has been given for us to escape destruction to come, and, and it's time to consider Jesus. It's time to look to Him and to be saved. And so without any delay, we're going to look at God's Word together. We're going to look in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to have our ears and our hearts open to all that God wants to speak to us today in and through His Word. You guys ready for that? You sure? Yeah. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, says, "'Therefore, brothers.'" Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds or good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord Jesus, we do see the day drawing near of your soon and imminent coming, and while we don't know when that day will be, you told us, Lord, to be ready, to always be watching. And Lord, part of that means to be ready and to be watching what is happening around us, but more so it means to be ready and to be watching what's happening inside of our own lives. Lord, that with hearts we would receive all the good things that you have done for us, Jesus, that we would believe and become all that you want us to be through salvation. And so, God, we thank you that while our salvation came to us at once, it came to us in three ways, as we learned last week. That we were saved from the penalty of sin. That right now we're being saved from the power of sin. But, Lord, there's coming a day when we will be saved from the presence of sin. We will be with you for all of eternity. And we can't wait for that day. We say, Lord Jesus, come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. But in this time, Lord, as we wait, Lord, we wait with eager expectation. We are those who will love your appearing. And we come to you now with humble hearts, ready to receive what you want to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So verse 19 Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So, by now in the book of Hebrews, we should be used to the word, therefore. Because there has been this well-crafted case all throughout this book about the greatness of Jesus, the Son of God. The writer has been making a pretty solid argument where one point just builds another upon another, just stacking with truth about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But the therefore in this section is probably the biggest therefore in the entire book because the writer is now gonna do something. He's gonna be transitioning now in this letter. A transition's gonna happen where prior to this, he's been talking about doctrine, theology, what we believe about Jesus. Now he's going to transition to application. Now we know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Well, what are we going to do with that? How are we going to live that out? And so we're transitioning now throughout the rest of the book of Hebrews, really more so into a time of application. How do we live out these truths that we've received? So we finally come to the end of uh, what I would say was a very well-articulated argument for why Jesus, in his new covenant priesthood, is so much better than the old covenant with its priesthood and with its sacrifices and ceremonies and laws and rituals. Jesus is so much better. He is the reality of what the shadows was telling us that whole time. And so because this true and present reality exists, the Bible is telling us we need to do something about it. In the past weeks, we've considered Jesus as the great high priest of our confession. And I sure hope and pray that by now, if you've been with us throughout this time, that you're convinced of who Jesus is, that you're convinced about what Jesus has done for you, so that you can confidently draw near to God. So brothers and sisters, since we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we now have What the Bible says is full and direct access to God's throne of grace. Are you gratefully living out that reality? Today, you have full and direct access to God's throne of grace. Are you living out that reality? Gratefully within your heart, do you say, oh, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm coming to you because you've called me to come. But if you're just coming into all of this for the first time, maybe this is your first Sunday donning the doors of the church, or if you're still unsure about what your purpose in life is and and what this all means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me take just a moment to give you a very simple and concise explanation of, of why this is possible. Why it's possible that you can draw near to God today. You see, every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God. And the just payment of sin is death. In the Old Testament, the death of animals, such as bulls and goats and lambs, gave the Jewish people a certain measure of access to God, but only for a time. Yet God wanted so much more from us than offerings and sacrifices. God wants relationships. He wants to be in a relationship with each and every one of us. God wants to be in relationship with every single person in this world. If you have breath in your lungs, God wants to be in relationship with you. But God is holy, and God is just, and God can't be in relationship with sin, and so sin had to be dealt with. And so God did what we could not do, and that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be a perfect sacrifice so that God can have a relationship with the people in this world. God sent forth his son Jesus into this world to be a perfect sacrifice. And the way he did that is that Jesus died on a cross. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And if you believe that that is true, and if you turn from your sins and you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, God will give you the gift of salvation. Salvation can come to you today if you haven't received it by believing the gospel. It has come to the Jews first, but it also comes to the Gentiles, to every tribe, nation, and tongue. We will all bow the knee before Jesus one day. The question is, have you bowed your knee yet? Do you submit your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Today you can do that. And at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that very thing. Simply put, you can have a relationship with God today through the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, which I know has happened for many of you, when that happens, you become a child of God. And to be a child of God means that all other believers in Jesus have now become your brothers and sisters. We are God's family which is why it's okay that you're touching elbows with a complete stranger next to you. <laughs> See, every time we gather in this place, we're having a family meeting. That's what this is right now. You, you guys know, like, in your families, you call together a family meeting, and you get together in the living room, and you talk. That's sort of what we do every single Sunday. In family meetings, we talk about the things that pertain to the family, But if you attend the family meeting and you're not part of the family, I can see how that might be a strange and uncomfortable thing, right? If you were coming into someone's home and they were having sort of an intense talk about things that are going on, things pertaining to the family, but you were there and you have this sense, "I I don't feel like I belong here. I don't know that I'm quite part of this family. Let me just tell you something. The truth is, is that at one time, every last person in this church was not part of this family. There was a time when each one of us were enemies of God. And there was a time when each one of us had to be born again, as Jesus said. And when you become born again by the Spirit of God, the Bible says you become a child of God. And we become a child of God, you are part of the family of God. And so for everyone who has believed in Jesus Christ as their older brother, who's given them access to God the Father, we have come into this family by coming to God through faith to receive his grace. No one has earned a right to be here. No one earns a right to be in the family of God. To be in the family of God, the Bible says, you must be born again, you must be adopted into the family. And this is a work of God's grace. It is a free gift that he invites you to come into today. And so today there's an open invitation for anyone to come into the family of God. And like I said, for the second time, I'm going to tell you again, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ so that you can be part of this family. If, if you sense right now that I'm speaking directly to you, I am, or rather the Holy Spirit is. And I'll give you an opportunity at the end of this message today to receive him as your Savior. But if you're already a child of God, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, listen up. This letter has something to say to us, church. Right now, in verse 19 to 20, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, what is saying here is that if you are a child of God, you have all the credentials for access. As a child of God, you have access to God Himself. The word confidence has the idea of having the freedom to speak. You can just come into the place where God is and you can speak to Him and God will listen to you. We often call this prayer, we call this coming into God's presence. And how was this made possible? Well, uh, this seems like incredible access. Did you get this access yourself or was this access given to you? It was given to you. This incredible access was made possible by Jesus, our great high priest. Remember, it is by the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood, only the blood of Jesus by which we can have access to enter the holy places. And if you've been with us, we're not talking about the earthly copy. We're talking about the heavenly reality. Look, this building here that's a gymnasium, if you didn't see it, we've got basketball hoops on either side of it. This is a sanctuary, as we would call it, but this is just a gathering place. This is just a meeting place. But when we come into this room, we believe that we have direct access into the throne room of God. That when we gather together and we pray and we worship and we get into God's word, we believe that we have direct access into that room in heaven where God is. Jesus was both the priest and the sacrifice that gave us this access. With his own blood, Jesus made a new and living way for us to draw near to the Most High God. The new and living way is in contrast to the old and the dead way. This new and living way was opened up for us by Jesus himself. We know that when Jesus died on a cross, there... Outside the gates in Jerusalem, there was a great representation of what was taking place in the heavenly reality. During the time in which Jesus was crucified, there was still an earthly temple that stood there in Jerusalem. And in that temple, there was that room, that place, where the high priest could only enter once a year to offer sacrifice for sins that would cover or atone for the sins of the people for one year. That room was called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And there was a veil that covered that most holy place because no one could just enter, just enter. You didn't, you didn't, unless you were the high, you were the high priest, a priest, a, priest, a priest, the order of Aaron. And if you were the high priest, you can only go in once a year. You couldn't just walk in whenever you felt like it. Hey guys, I'm going to go worship for a little bit in the Holy of Holies with God's presence. This was limited access. And even with the limited access, you approached it with fear and trembling with a rope around your foot in case you died. And yet when Jesus died upon the cross... And he spoke those words from the cross that says, it is finished. It has been paid in full. You remember what happened there in the temple. There was a veil that covered the most holy place. It was 30 feet high and about four to five inches thick. And that veil was torn from top to bottom. Meaning that from top to bottom, no one climbed a ladder 30 feet high and ripped a four to five inch thick veil from the top to bottom. Who tore the veil? God. But even that veil that was torn on earth was only a shadowy representation of the reality that took place in heaven, whereby Jesus, with his own flesh, tore the curtain that was in heaven so that you and I can have direct and full access to God. Imagine what it would have been like for any average priest to just stand there and to be able to stare into the holy of holies that they've never seen before and like, we're not supposed to see this. And then now, they're standing and they're seeing it, but the true reality is that now we are all priests and kings to our God. We have full and direct access to not the earthly tabernacle, but the true and heavenly tabernacle, the one in which Jesus went by the eternal spirit and offered up his own blood when he died on a cross for us. This new and this living way was opened for us through the curtain—that that is, through Jesus' flesh. And the reason we have access to God and to his heavenly throne is because the body of Jesus was offered once and for all for the sins of many. And then Jesus sat down at the right hand of God because his work was finished. The ways opened up for us. In fact, in the early days of the church, before anyone was called Christians, They used to be called people of the way, the way of Jesus, because the way of Jesus was new. The way of Jesus was living, and that word new is a very interesting choice of words that the writer of Hebrews used. The word new literally can be translated freshly slaughtered, and then that word living obviously draws our attention to the resurrection. And you see, the reason we have access to God in this way is because Jesus remains as our king and priest forever because he died on a cross. He was flesh, freshly slaughtered, but then he rose from the dead. And Jesus doesn't need to be crucified again and again and again, as some have taught. Jesus is always freshly slaughtered. As he's seated, as he's seated in the heavenly places, he still bears the wounds of his crucifixion. And there's coming a day when people will look upon him who was pierced. And they will mourn and they will weep. And they'll look to him to be saved. God the Father put God the Son as the highest priest, the highest king over this house. We have confidence to draw near to God in this house today because why? We are his family. If you're a child of God, you have access to the house, right? if I gave you my keys, you might not go into my house, right? A lot of you guys don't know where I live, but I, if, I, if I gave you my keys and said, go into my house, it would be fine. You could go into my house. But my wife has keys to my house. If I gave my kids the keys to the house, they could go in. It's their house. And this is what is being told to us today. We have Access to the house of the Lord, not the earthly one, the heavenly one. Why? Because we're his children. We're his family. And so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 through 22 puts it like this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Isn't it so good to be in the house? To be the family of God, to be the children of God. I know I'm kind of stressing this right now, this whole concept of being family, but but I think it's very important. If you're family, you have keys to the house. You have access to come at any time. So with confidence, you can go to your father, the father of the house. You could go to your brother, the brother of the house, and you can have any sort of conversation at any time because you belong in the house. You know, only... The only person who can wake me up at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is my own child. (laughs) If a stranger knocked on my door at 3 a.m. asking for a glass of water, we're talking about something completely different. So we are God's children in his house. Therefore, you have full and complete access to God at any hour and for any reason. So what do you need today? The Father would be pleased to have you come to him, to ask him whatever you need, because God loves to give good gifts to his children. From here on, the writer is now going to give us three encouragements because of this wonderful access, this privilege that we have because of Jesus Christ. And each of these privileges start with the word, let us. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the first let us. The second let us is in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then the third one is in verse 24 and 25, and it says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, this is our access, you guys. Verse 22, the first let us, the first encouragement for us to just go boldly into this place says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The words drawing near have been the key words throughout this letter. To draw near means to come with your face towards something, right? Right? If I were to go this way, I'm not drawing near to you, right? But if I'm going toward, with my face toward you, I'm drawing near to you. I'm getting closer to you. This is what God desires from us. He desires to have your face turned toward him and his face turned toward you so that as you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. But so many people live in this way where their backs are turned to God. And let me tell you, God's back is not turned on you. The moment you repent, the moment you turn around, guess whose face you will see? You will see God's and you will draw near to him. And so to draw near means to come confidently, boldly, not as one trembling, not as one fearful like the Israelites had to do uh, in the old covenant, but to come and to taste and to see that the Lord is good and that you can draw near to God with a true heart rather than with an evil conscience. You can draw near to God with a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. Because what God does when you become born again, when you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus, God takes out your heart of stone. He gives you a heart of flesh so then you can obey God by the Spirit of God. And so there's this new, there's this living way that with true hearts we draw near to God with full assurance of faith. And the words full assurance we've studied a bit ago has the idea of wind blowing in your sails. It's like a ship that is knows its destination. It's going to go, go, go right into the presence of the Lord with the full wind, which represents the Spirit of God coming into your sails and drawing you right near to God. And then it says we have hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And in the Old Covenant Sprinkling draws us back into the way in which blood would be sprinkled upon just about everything in order to cleanse it. Well, your heart and your conscience has been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. As you set your heart upon Jesus, he cleanses you. And then we have these bodies that are washed with pure water, drawing us back to think about those ritual washings and baptisms of the Old Covenant. But as we've been washed by the blood of Jesus, we also know that we have been baptized into Christ. And baptism is a beautiful thing. It is, what we would say, an outward expression of an inward reality. By going into water, you're saying, I have died with Christ. By coming out of the water, you're saying, I've been risen with Christ. And so every believer can draw near to God in that way. Does that give you confidence to draw near to God or what? Yeah? Are you assured of that very true reality? Is this head knowledge or is this heart knowledge? See, a lot of us have head knowledge about this stuff, but God asks for it to be heart knowledge. And does your heart still condemn you? You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel, I hear everything you're saying, but not me. You can approach God that way. You know this stuff, you get it, but not me. I can't draw near to God in that way. You know what? If you're a child of God, you have this kind of access. Tell God today, I want this true heart that your word speaks about. I want to draw near to you with full assurance of faith. I don't want to come half-hearted. I don't want to come half-assured. Say to God, God, give me a true heart in full assurance of faith. God would be happy to answer that prayer. See, God's word tells us that we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. It's one thing to say these things. It's one thing to think these things. It's one way to believe these things in your heart and then do it in the spirit and to come near to God. And then verse 23, the second letter says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. The idea of hold fast is also from a sailing analogy. It's like the idea of having an anchor that is set. And if you remember Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, that says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So we hold fast to this hope that's set before us. We cling to this confession that we've made about Jesus. And and I get it. And I think you get it. We all get it. That life is hard and life is full of many storms. Even like right now, as you're hearing me say this, even right now, as I'm saying it out of my mouth, I realize how many different obstructions there may be for you to draw near to God. I realize how much might be going in your life, how much might be going in your world that's going to keep you and prevent you from having this close, intimate relationship with your God. I get it. You get it. We all get it. But I want to speak to everyone who's been united to Jesus by a confession of faith. You've done this, haven't you? You've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You have done that, haven't you? If you haven't, I'll give you an opportunity at the end of this message too. You have done this, haven't you? You've been baptized with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're like, oh no, I haven't done that one. That's okay. There's only one of those that saves you. But the other one is an outward demonstration of an inward reality. If you've made a confession of faith in Jesus if you have the hope of eternal life in your heart because Jesus died on a cross for your sins and God raised him from the dead, if you believe that, if you've confessed that, even if you've demonstrated that through baptism or through assembling together with the saints today, you are saved. You're saved. Am I? Yes. really? Yes. Your heart's still condemning you, isn't it? You're not sure, are you? You can have full assurance of faith. You can know that you know that you know that God has saved you and that he loves you. Because it all doesn't depend upon you and I, but because he who promised is faithful. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He has begun a good work in you, hasn't he? If you're not sure, be sure that today is the day that God begins a new work, a good work, a work that begins with you confessing your need for Jesus, and today he saves you, and then you will know that once you are saved, you will be with him for everlasting life. You can know that today. It's important to understand that we hold fast to this hope. And even if we are faithless at times, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So keep yourself in the love of God as God keeps you in his love. I'm reminded right here of that great hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus' name. And then verse 24 to 25, we come to the third and the final, let us. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As the writer of Hebrews has been encouraging us and I've, as I've tried to encourage you today of this amazing access that we have to God, we're challenged here as a family to encourage one another. It says, let us consider, and consider means to think deeply about something. Let us consider how to stir one another up. To stir means to sharpen, to shake up, to raise up, to bring to the top, because you know what? We need to encourage one another, and we need to stir one another up. Do you know why? It's because we have a propensity for things to settle. We have a proclivity for things to grow cold. And when we come together to encourage each other and to stir each other up, we must consider doing that always, giving proper attention at all times to the ways that we can stir each other up to love and good works. This is a call to action. It says, let's do it today and let's do it always, especially as we see the day drawing near. And I sure hope this morning that you've been stirred up to love and to good works. And and isn't that the reason why you gathered here today? Maybe, maybe not. I know why I've come here today. I've come here today to encourage you. To give you a message from God's word that's going to stir you up to love and good works. It's going to put some wind in your sails so that you go right into the presence of the Lord. I've come here today to remind you of the blood of Jesus, that you have no access to God on the basis of anything that you've done or anything that you haven't done. You have the only basis of access to God on the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And I've come here today to encourage you in that, to stir you up in that, to remind you of that, and to let you know that unless you've believed in that, you're not saved. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to be saved in just a moment. But if you are saved, then with a very confidence and hopeful expectation, you should know that your Savior is coming quickly. And those who love him will love his appearing. And if you're sort of like, yeah, Jesus is coming again. I've been saying that for 2,000 years. Hey, well, we're one day closer. He's coming. So this is not what the church is all about. Let me tell you one thing that the church is all about. And you guys know this. I love to preach God's word. I think you can probably tell that. And I love that you love the preaching of God's word. I think I can tell that. But let me tell you what the church is not the church is not a sermon appreciation society where we come and spectate for a week and then come back another week and spectate another week. The church is a living organism where each member of the body plays its part. Jesus is the head of this church. Not any one of these pastors, no one is the head of this church except Jesus Christ. And we live and we move and we have our being in him. We love him. We do good works for him. We have love toward him. And we love one another and we do good works toward one another because we are his family. We are his children. God is our father. Jesus is our brother. And so we've come here today in this family. We've come to this household of faith. And the writer of Hebrews knew this. He knew that there were some who were neglecting this important aspect of the faith. They were not coming to the family gatherings. So he warns them not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Now many Christians know this verse. And you read it, and maybe you're thinking, man, I am so glad I did not miss church this morning. (laughs) That was a nervous laugh. (laughs) So glad I didn't miss church this morning. If there was a Sunday in our series in Hebrews to miss, it was not this one. But if you know someone who missed this Sunday, they're not here with us this morning, or if you ever miss a Sunday for any reason, Maybe you're sick, or you go on vacation, or you get scheduled in for work. We do have all of our sermons online, and you can listen to our services via live stream from wherever you're at. And I'm going to take the moment to say this, and you probably already know what I'm going to say, but I should probably still say it anyway, is that watching a church service online is not exactly meeting together with the saints. And I'll say this. It has become easy for some to fall into the habit of watching church online. And if you're watching church online, (laughs) pointing right into the camera right now, (laughs) oh, man. (laughs) I just want to say this to you. If you're watching church online right now, Or if you've missed church on Sunday and you're watching this on Monday, Tuesday, or whatever day of the week you're watching this, I'm going to say this, I love you. I love you. But if you're watching church right now by yourself at home, I'm looking right into that camera right there. If you're watching church by yourself at home, you need to come home. You need to come to these family gatherings this place right here. You see me, but you don't see everyone out here right now who are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And if you're watching online right now, I want to see you next Sunday. And I want the Holy Spirit to convict you. I don't want to give you any sort of guilt trip. I just want to tell you right now, if you're watching online, we want to see you here. Because we cannot neglect the assembling of the saints as has become the custom of some. But all the more, as the day draws near, you need this. See, I need the church. You need the church. Don't we need one another? Yes. We need one another. And we need one another all the more as the day draws near. We've been living in such interesting times where it's more important than ever before for the church to gather together and to do what the church does, which is to love God, to love one another, and to the love of the lost. So get to church. Now, I think the reason why people so often neglect gathering with the saints and they make it a habit of not being with God's people to love and to do good works and to encourage one another in anticipation of Jesus' coming, I believe that it is symptomatic of a much deeper issue. I think one of the main reasons why people neglect church is that they do not have confidence to draw near to God. And their hearts condemn them. And their conscience isn't clean. So what they do is they isolate themselves. And they grow cold in their faith. And they get sleepy in their walk. And they find themselves discouraged. They find themselves lacking in love and good works and they, and they certainly do not live with any sort of eager expectation for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. But let us consider today who we can stir up who is in that sort of a position right now to get them back into fellowship. Who can you encourage who's not here today for them to come and see that the Lord is good? Who can you show love and good deeds to where you would want them to come to church with you because the reason they'd come is because why do you have the hope that you have? But Pastor Daniel, where are we going to put them? (laughs) One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13 seats, maybe, between probably about 15 seats open right now. If there's 15 people watching online, we've got seats for you. Yeah. Uh, there's no more seats in this place, but that's God's problem, not mine. So I'm getting a sense in my spirit about something as, as I bring this message so close. I have a sense in my spirit. About why God has had us in the book of Hebrews. He has been taking us deeper so that we can go wider, He has been maturing the saints so that we can reach the sinners. Do you want to know why, historically, Calvary chapels have exploded with such kind of growth as we've seen in the last three years of this church? And this isn't to toot any horn. This is just simply to say that there's no secret to the growth that is happening here in this church. Why do people gather here? And, And this isn't an exhaustive list, but this is a list of five reasons, and I'll end on this. I'll bring the worship team up just so we can move things along. Number one, the reason why historically Calvary chapels have been uniquely blessed by God is because number one, we do verse-by-verse teaching through the scriptures. We give believers the word of God. Number two, it's because the simple and straightforward preaching of the gospel. We lead people to Jesus. Number three... It's because of the Spirit-led and the Spirit-filled worship, prayer, and teaching. We depend on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our times of gathering. Number four, we teach about the second coming of Jesus, which includes in that certain aspects of God's heart for Israel. Those who bless Israel, God will bless. We have a confident hope in God's future promises. And then number five, we keep love at the center of it all. We love God. We love one another. We love the lost. So I'm so glad that you've gathered here today at Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. And I sure hope that you were encouraged today and that you know confidently that God loves you. We desire for this to be a church family where you can say this is my home, these are my people, this is my God. This is a place for you to believe, this is a place for you to belong, this is a place for you to become. God has such big plans for this little church in Palos Verdes. Today God sees you, today God loves you, today God knows you, And today God wants you to know him. And if you know him, praise him. But if you don't know him, I'm gonna pray. And this is gonna be your opportunity right now to be born again and to come into the family of God. Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. Your heart tells you it's true. You're a sinner in need of a savior. And so with a true heart, Come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. Be my savior. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for every person who's gathered in this place. And right now, as we enter into a time of worship, I'm asking, not because of any words that I've spoken today, but because of the words that you've spoken into individual hearts. Jesus, you're giving an opportunity for people to come to know you. And in this moment right now, Lord, Through your name, I want to extend that invitation. Jesus, you say, come. And if anyone has heard today, let them come. Draw them now. And if today you want to draw near to God, and you want to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and you know all this morning I've been speaking to you, would you just please raise your hand just up over your head so we can know that we want to come alongside you as a brand new brother and sister in Jesus Christ. Is there anyone in here today who wants to do that? I see you right back there. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Anyone else here today who wants to come into a relationship with Jesus, wants to know him personally, intimately, have this kind of access we've been talking about where you can come to God, not on the basis of religion, but on the basis of relationship. You want to come to God and put your trust and your hope in him. Anyone here? Anyone else? Okay. Praise God. If you raise your hand, just I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. And just pray this with me in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. But Jesus, I thank you that you have become a savior for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins and for the sins of the world. Jesus, I believe that you were raised from the dead. I confess this with my mouth today. And today I believe it in my heart. So Jesus, I ask you to save me. Amen. Amen. The Bible promises that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you prayed that prayer, whether you raise your hand or not, you are saved and you can have full assurance. And in this time of worship, we have access to God. Amen. Let's worship.